Turn in your Bible to Judges chapter 21. We've made it. Judges chapter 21 is found on page 221 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 221 in the Pew Bible. Judges 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel. And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him, who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Verse 16, Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, 
Because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, or else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we hear your word this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive it. We ask that you would help us apply this difficult text to our lives. We want our love for Jesus to increase as a result of hearing your word. So would you do that for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever tried to watch a TV series long enough, you know how easy it is to get lost in the details. And it's especially difficult if you miss some episodes or jump in at the finale, right? Certainly it would be helpful to know what led to the finale so that you have some idea of what's unfolding in the conclusion. And that's the danger that we face this morning, right? If you're a visitor, or even if you're not, and you've been with us through Judges, you've heard every message on Judges, we've read the entire book, we've spent eight months on this book. We started in January. We've spent eight months on it. And this is our last episode. This is the finale, if you will. A lot has happened throughout the book, so the question we may face is how did we get to this point? What's happened in the book? Because we've covered a lot. So what's happened? So like a, a good TV show where they provide a recap of the season before they show the finale, I hope to do that at some point in my in my sermon here, to help us ultimately see what God is doing in history and in this story, and ultimately so that we might know how to apply this text to our lives. So what I want to do this morning is I want to answer three questions. I want to ask three questions, and I want to answer these. Two questions which come directly from the text, and then the third is a question that we may have where the answer is implied in the text. Okay, so two questions come directly from it, and I'll show you that in a moment. And then the third is, the answer is implied. So first, why do God's people face difficulty today? My first question, why do God's people face difficulty today? Why is Israel in the dilemma that they are in? We see this in verse 3. Look with me at verse 3. Here's what they ask. This is the question I'm answering. Here's what they ask. O Lord, the God of Israel, 
Why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? What has happened? That's their, their question. Why are we facing this difficulty today, Lord? That's their question. That's our question, right? This might be our question because we don't even know what got them there, right? We've spent eight months. What, what did get them there? Or it might be our question. It is our question as well because the answer is the same for us when we consider the difficulties that we face today. So in our first scene, and we see this in verses 1 through 5, Israel is in a dilemma. Prior to their war with Benjamin, they made an oath not to give their daughters in marriage to Benjamin. And then what happens is war breaks out, and they almost completely destroy Benjamin. Only 600 men are left. And now they're filled with compassion. In verse 6, they're filled with compassion for their brother. They don't want to see him wiped out. But they made this oath. They made an oath, and they feel obligated to keep it. This is the dilemma. This is the mess that they are in. Complete chaos in the end. The ones who were to drive out the enemy at the beginning of the book have almost destroyed themselves in the end. Right? They're to drive out the nations that were before them as they entered the land, as they're in the land, and now they're driving themselves out, aren't they? So the people of Israel ask the Lord this question. Why have we gotten into this difficulty? And that's what we ask today. Verse 3 again, they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? No answer. No answer from the Lord. They should know what led them to this point. So, what's, what's happened? What's happened in Israel that there's one tribe lacking? I want to give us the big picture here of the book. Okay, so under Joshua, Israel had entered the promised land, and God had promised to give the people the land. And the people were to drive out the nations that were before them, that lived in the land. And after Joshua died, which is where we start in the book of Judges, Israel is without a leader. But they had some success at the beginning of, of the uh, story here. But they failed to completely drive out the inhabitants of the land. And they allowed the Canaanites to dwell among them which is what God had told them not to do. We saw that in, in chapters 1 and 2. And we learned that their failure to drive out the people was due to their own disobedience. They had forsaken God and they had forsaken His covenant. They had compromised with the world around them. They're just like the nations. They worshipped and served the idols of the land rather than God. And so then, what happened? The Lord then Sent a, he handed them over to the enemy, and then the people cry out for deliverance. And then the Lord would, in his grace, would send them a judge, a savior, a deliverer to rescue them and save them out of the hand of the enemy. That's the, the big picture there of what's happened. Then what would happen is the judge would die, 
And Israel would go back to their sinful ways and become more corrupt than they were before. This, this downward spiral, right? Downward spiral of sin and rebellion against God, of forsaking God, of doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then God's judgment. And then they'd cry out to God, and then he would save them and rescue them, and then the judge dies, and what do you know? They forsake the Lord again. Just the cycle continued throughout the book. And we watched this play out in chapters 3 through 16. And we saw this play out time and time again with these judges. We saw the first judge from Judah. His name was Othniel. Empowered by the Spirit of God, he delivered God's people. We saw Ehud, a left-handed assassin from the tribe of Benjamin. He thrusts his sword through the belly of Eglon, through the belly of the enemy. An unlikely farmer, Shamgar, killing 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Deborah and Barak, with his pursuit of Sisera, whose forehead is crushed by the tent peg of this unlikely woman named Jael. We saw the weak and frail Gideon, who delivers God's people with an army of 300, all by doing what? blowing their trumpets and smashing their jars. <laughs> Remarkable. And even after all these deliverances and all these evidences of God's grace, Israel would continue to rebel against God and live like the nations. Gideon's own son sought to rule as a king like the nations. Jephthah made a foolish vow to the Lord and it cost him the life of his daughter, and then the last judge, Samson. Samson. Set apart from birth. Married a prostitute. He loved foreign women. He broke his Nazarite vow. He told the secret to his strength. Had his eyes gouged out. He's taken into captivity, bound in chains. It's a picture of Israel, right? Bound in chains, but by the grace of God, he was used one last time as he stretched out his hands on the pillar of the temple and he brought it down and he killed more in his death than he did in his life. He brought down the temple of Dagon. Time and time again, sin and rebellion and doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Even with the judges themselves which revealed their own need for deliverance. Time and time again, sin and rebellion. And time and time again, God's grace poured out on his sinful people. And then the conclusion in chapters 17 through 21, with this theme ringing in our ears. Right? You hear it in your mind. It's on your lips. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Corruption with Micah's family led to corruption in religion as he ordains a Levite as his priest in his own house of idolatry. And that corruption led to the corruption of the entire tribe of Dan 
another Levite, pursues an unfaithful wife, and it resulted in the abomination that took place in Gibeah. When the life of the Levite man is discarded and murdered and then cut into 12 pieces and then scattered through the land of Israel, scattered to the 12, given to the 12 tribes, Israel is portrayed as worse than the nations. They have become the new Sodom in chapter 19. And this abomination led to the all-out civil war that we saw in chapter 20. So that those who align themselves with Sodom, right, those who align themselves with the new Sodom, will be brought to destruction. And that's what's happened to Benjamin. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is why Israel is in the mess that they are in. That's the long way of telling that that's what happened. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sin and rebellion is why all of this has happened and why there is a tribe among Israel that is about to be wiped out in our story. Israel is in this difficult situation because they do what is right in their own eyes. They have forsaken God as their king. They have not kept his covenant, and they have compromised with the world. So when we reflect on our own lives and in our own day, when, when viewing the direction of churches today, right, if you view churches today, you see how they're becoming more and more secular and how the church looks just like the world has become another social club. Okay, I had a friend here last week from Boston, church, a pastor, church planting in Boston. And he was describing what the churches, just the church buildings, and what he's even seeing and what they're believing in, in the Boston area. Just continually, continually to decline. It's devastating to me when you consider this, right? It's just like the world. When you reflect on this, or even as you observe your own spiritual life, if you see a decline in your own life, and I would say sometimes we don't see it until it's, we're so far fallen. So we must examine ourselves, right? We must examine ourselves to see where we are. But when we reflect on our lives and examine ourselves, we are led to ask this question. Why has this happened? Why, O oh Lord, has this happened today? That today we are in such difficulty, right? Legitimate question. And what's the answer? The same answer that was true then is true today. We do what is right in our own eyes. We forsake God and do what pleases us. So let's repent of that. Let's turn away from that sin and selfishness and turn to Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we might no longer live in rebellion against God. He died on the cross and died for us so that we might live for him and do what pleases him. Might that be what we are about as a church? Second, my second point question is this, which is found in verses 7 and 16. 
What solutions do God's people pursue to resolve their difficulties? What solutions did Israel seek in order to resolve their dilemma? Notice verse 7. What shall we do for wives for those who are left? Since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. The first solution they come up with is and pursue is in verses 8 through 15. So Israel is filled with compassion toward Benjamin. And they're concerned about him being completely wiped out. But at the same time, they took this oath. In their own minds, they can't help him out. So they need a solution. And again, this solution falls under the idea, right? Under the category of doing what's right in one's own eyes. So what is their solution in keeping Benjamin from being wiped off the map? I can see. I can see their brains working. Their minds are coming together. They put their heads together to try to figure out what to do. All right, so we, we made an oath that we wouldn't give our daughters for wives. Okay? They're about to be wiped out, and we want to have compassion on them. Oh, yeah, we made another oath. And they recall the time at Mizpah that they had made an oath that whoever didn't come to join them would be put to death. Hmm. I think we have a plan. As they think about it, they realize that Jabesh Gilead did not come up when they all gathered as one assembly. And since Jabesh Gilead did not join forces with them, then in their mind, they're siding with the ones who did evil in Gibeah. And so, therefore, justice must be carried out. And Israel needs to keep that vow. So, what do they do? They send 12,000 men and destroy Jabesh Gilead. But they spare 400 virgins and bring them to Shiloh so that they can give them as wives to Benjamin. See, see the problem? The compassion they felt for Benjamin leads to the slaughter of the people of Jabesh Gilead. They only, okay, I want you to notice this, they only realized that Jabesh Gilead needed to be destroyed after they realized that Benjamin needed wives. You see? We need wives for Benjamin. Oh yeah, let's destroy a people and give them their wives, give them their daughters as wives. We kept our vow. We kept our oath. They are more passionate about keeping their oath and their own word and not giving their daughters to Benjamin than they are in keeping God's word. They were not to destroy the families of Jabesh Gilead. Why the detail on who they destroyed? And all so that they could capture their wives and give them to Benjamin to keep him alive. And one of the problems of this solution is that it didn't completely resolve their dilemma in the first place. There's 600 men of Benjamin, and we got 400 women. All right, so do the math. We got 200 more. Oh, no, now what are we going to do? So what do they do? Next solution in verses 16 through 24. Look with me at verse 16. Then the elders of the congregation said, 
what shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? <laughs> Similar question. Same question they ask in verse 7. The second solution, which enables them to keep Benjamin from being cut off from Israel, is this. They command the people of Benjamin to go to Shiloh and wait for the daughters to come out to, and dance at this feast. All right, and then you're in hiding, and then you're going to come out and you're going to snatch them and take them back to your homeland. That's what happens. And now no one is guilty according to the letter of the law. We kept our oath. You're keeping your oath. Benjamin's alive as well. We found a solution to our problem. But what we notice is this. Israel resolves their dilemma by finding a solution which kept their name intact. In their eyes, they were faithful to their oaths even though injustice was done to others. They sought a solution that benefited them at the expense of Jabesh Gilead and the daughters of Shiloh. So often, man-made solutions, apart from God, lead to tragedy for everyone else, right? They lead to tragedy for others, but not for us. Even in our own solutions, we can sometimes pursue what benefits us and forget its impact on others. In my sinful tendency, my solutions ultimately reveal what is right in my own eyes. So often, we do what is best for us without considering others. I don't know all the problems that you face and difficulties that you face or what dilemma you're in today. I don't know all of them. I know some, certainly. But perhaps it's marriage difficulty. Perhaps it's financial difficulty. Perhaps difficulty raising a child. Maybe it's a sin that you've committed and it's led to some great consequence or crisis. Perhaps it's physical difficulty. I, I, I don't know all the details, Certainly, we all have difficulty in some way, shape, or form, right? And it is so easy to seek solutions apart from God, right? So, what, what is the solution that we should pursue? This is my last question. I've already given you the answer. What solution does God provide for his people when they face difficulties or problems? What is this God's solution to Israel's dilemma? Notice verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The solution that the author is providing for us is that Israel needed a king. 
They needed God as their king. They had rejected him from being king over them. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king to lead them in righteousness. Without a righteous king, without God as their king, in fact, without God as our king, individual lives fall apart, families fall apart, religion or church falls apart, society at large falls apart, America as a whole falls apart. Because God is being rejected as king over them. You see? The solution to our problem of sin is God. And making him the king of our lives. The solution to our, the problem of our difficulties and dilemmas is God. And making him and placing him as king of our life. As verse 25 concludes the book, we recognize this. Israel's sinful actions displayed their need for a righteous king to lead them to do what is right in God's eyes. That's what we've seen throughout the book. They do evil what's in God's God's eyes. They do what's right in their own eyes. There's no king. There's no king. The judge dies. The Savior dies. They go back to their sinful ways. You see, this story offers a glimmer of hope Because though Benjamin acted like Sodom, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. God did not completely destroy Benjamin like he did Sodom. Did you catch that at the end of the book? They're still alive. Though Israel continued to fall into sin and rebellion, he didn't wipe them out. This is evidence of God's grace at the end of this book. Time and time again, he provided a judge to deliver his people. And now the stage was set for him to provide a king who would lead in righteousness and justice. And the beauty of this story, as though it's a finale for us, the beauty of this story is that it doesn't end in Judges. The stage was set for God to provide a king even greater than David. There is hope for us because God has provided his son to die on the cross and rise again so that he might rule and reign as our king. Jesus is the righteous king who leads us to do what is right in God's eyes. So we must never think that we should or can live our lives apart from him. So all of our actions and the dilemmas that we are in should lead us to consider what Jesus would have us do. We must never seek to resolve our difficulties or conflict apart from Christ. So may you give all areas of your life to Jesus your successes, your failures, your difficulties, your tragedies, your joys. Give them all to Jesus. Let's praise our great King who has come to save us. And might we truly meditate. Now in a moment we're going to sing a song and I want us to, to meditate on these words as we Sing.
Let me just read these words as we close. Who has felt the nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humbled to the grave. Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. And we're singing this to Jesus, right? You will reign forever. Let your glory fill the earth. You will reign forever. Let's adore King Jesus together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we consider this last passage in Judges, we give you thanks that the story didn't end there with dark days for Israel, but you provided a glimmer of hope. You provided hope that a king would come to rule and to reign in righteousness and to lead your people. And we give you thanks that Jesus has come. And our heart's desire now is that he would be adored in our lives, that we would see him as our king, that we would look to him no matter what problem and difficulty we face, what joy we have, that we would continue to look to Jesus as our great king and savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.